Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. I found the ultimate answer to the age-old long debate of what you should eat, how you should eat. Is non-veg good? Is veg more satvik? Is home-grown food the healthiest, or plant-based meat is the big revolution? Well, I have my answer, and this is eat according to your profession. If you are an athlete or a soldier, it's a crime not to eat non-veg, which is possibly the biggest source of protein. While if you are a software engineer working at your desk, eat which is easily digestible and digestible and keeps you fresh. Well, this is not an introduction to any of the food startups. Today, I have Ashwin Ramachandran with us on AudioGAN. Ashwin is a chef and runs a small kitchen in South Mumbai called Millie Ways. He specializes in Asian food. He has over ten years of experience in the hospitality industry and has worked in ITC hotels for more than five years. He is based out of Mumbai. I happened to meet Ashwin at FFX Festival this year and was curious to know his thoughts about food. especially his perspective to look at ingredients rather than the dish itself so thank you ashwin for giving your time and it's a real pleasure to have you on audio gan thank you so much for having me over so yeah thank you we are uh, the so the overall conversation i wanted to uh, have with you was uh, is cooking an art um, or is it a craft which we briefly spoke about last time when we were at the festival right. and also wanted to understand your take on how important are ingredients in any dish yeah so that's the premise right so if you can start by telling what what makes a perfect recipe i mean is it the ingredients uh, is it the timing or like if you want to go further abstract is it the love uh, which you put in while making a particular dish yeah yeah sure um we'll we'll start off with this it's a it's a fantastic question and it's also one of the first things that comes to anybody's mind when they are uh what makes a perfect recipe it's all it's one of the first questions that comes to your mind when you uh think about cooking food um, like you rightly said ingredients timing and love uh, these are all uh, necessary components in order to make a good a great dish uh, but uh, firstly there is no such thing as a perfect recipe um a recipe on its own is no guarantee of a good product the people who are making the recipe or executing it are the ones that can ensure uh, a good good uh, end product uh, will come out of it but apart from these three ingredients that is ingredients uh, timing or love uh, what is as or if not more important is is something called as intention um which basically decides your function and your attitude towards what you are going to create so more whether you have a recipe or not or whether you're just cooking ad hoc like completely from uh, your own mind without anything structured around what you want to do um if your intention is solid then the other things fall into place at least this is what i have found when we've we've had instances where people have come up to us and said that let's cook something different let's cook something that's completely out of the box i've had this so many times i want to eat something different you're not prepared for this right you don't have a recipe in your head they just tell you that okay i want to have one fish i want to have one this ingredient i want to have something else and then they say make me something so it at at those times it's the intention of that, that i want to feed this 
person something new something different something that will probably make their evening really great uh, so it starts with that and then slowly uh, you get in your ingredients you think about what is it that is available and then of course then timing comes into place uh, where in how long are you cooking those ingredients what are you subjecting it to are you marinating it are you breaking it down uh, are you going to be cooking it really fast is there any particular or are you not going to cook it at all are you going to just cure it so these these things is where time comes into place and then lastly there is yes like you said there is love love is important this is probably comes love on both parts probably from the side of the person who's creating the dish a love towards profession and the consumer also a love towards eating or enjoying or relishing that experience i think both of them uh, are equally important in this equation so that mm-hmm. if there is a perfect recipe then it is all a bunch of intangible components that make it great Hmm. and and is there any other uh, axis or any other parameter on which uh, good food or good recipe or good dish is measured again because these were the three which uh, i thought of uh, but uh, i'm sure there must be lot of other parameters being discussed in the in the chef world uh, is there anything like that uh, when you look at this from a very professional point of view uh, all kitchens in spite of everything all kitchens uh, and restaurants um except for those who have a daily changing menu most successful restaurants that have a nice good standardized menu that has been running strong for years rely on a standardized recipe it's not a perfect recipe it's something that they call as a standardized recipe so that is almost like a a, a bible or a guide which people refer to um so that that establishment of that standardized recipe that is important is it perfect probably not because um every time a new chef comes to finish that dish they add uh, his or her touch to it so it changes the final end product in that very small way but in spite of everything the the most the biggest thing that any recipe or any restaurant aspires to or a kitchen aspires to is for consistency so in order to deliver that form of consistency you require a recipe so if you mm. if you are discussing as to the importance of a recipe that is the importance of the recipe whether it's a perfect recipe or not is questionable nothing really is perfect i mean if, yeah, yeah. It is, so i think uh, yeah sorry to interrupt but uh, i think what we'll do is we'll come back to this in more detail um yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. as we go along but uh, since you mentioned about intention uh, and timing love uh, ingredients as well mm. if you can help us like help me understand or draw a parallel of the chef world uh, where uh, how does things change when you are like a chef for a, a chef mainly in a fine dining restaurant versus i'm guessing that it's more measured and uh, whereas like a home cook like a bavar ji or a maharaj which yeah. we have versus uh, like a food which is served in langar so how do these work and how do these uh, individual cooks or individual people look at ingredients timing and the other things uh, which are required to serve those people right but it is actually one of the most fascinating things that you can come across uh, i've had the chance and the opportunity to do work with uh, cooks and chefs from all these different schools that you're just talking about and each of them have this really um, unique approach to as to how they want to prepare the food um their end goals and their end games are slightly different um so that changes the way they think about or plan or uh, their entire process uh, 
but uh, intention wise it is fantastic what they are all trying to achieve uh, if you look at a fine dining chef for them uh, like how we previously spoke perfection it is one of those things that they gun for uh, where there is no scope or even a minute minute chance of error to be possible on a plate or on a dish because it is under extreme uh, inspection each product is under extreme inspection so for them everything from the way the produce comes in to the way it's shaped to the to the way it's finished and it's pruned or it's trimmed and the way it's cooked each of those stages have like 10 times or 20 times more focus given to then what you would expect in say a normal restaurant or say a banquet style or a bulk cooking kind of food because uh, the experience is extremely personal so uh, the attention becomes uh, personal to such a level that uh, there is absolutely no margin for error but if you were to shift that same perspective to say a longer style of food um which is which is commonly called as say a, a banqueting system of cooking where you're cooking for a lot of people then your prior, your priorities change you're trying to remove we are trying to create the biggest possible quantity of food at the best possible quality so you're trying to balance two very very difficult things over here which means that your the kind of attention that you're giving to things the parameters that you're giving to suddenly shift it's no longer located on one plate but right now it is how much how fast can you get really good food out so your process is changed the way you're executing your ingredients change what kind of menus are on offer change um if you're offering it for say something like a langar uh, which is which has a very which has a religious necessity to it um then in that case there are certain restrictions or allowances that come in uh, which based on which you can cook food uh, which changes the entire dynamics so for example if i'm making dal for say 15000 people uh, the kind of quantities itself that i'm looking at are unfathomable i'm using so many amounts of pulses i'm using so much amount of water the salt is different um, and all of these ingredients behave differently when you cook them in bulk Uh, all the people think that if you take a particular recipe that's meant for four portions if i were to feed 40 people out of that i just have to multiply the recipe by 10 times but a recipe doesn't follow that that methodology it doesn't um more often than not as you increase the 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 quantity of preparation the ratio of ingredients changes accordingly it is not a very linear proportion so uh, there is a lot of judgment that comes into play when you're cooking for people like when you're cooking in these volumes Uh, a chef's personal judgment or his personal her personal capacity to understand how these quantities will play out uh, come into uh, question for example if i'm predicting how much dal are, are 15000 people going to consume now it, it is not something that i can that answer i cannot come to if i don't have an understanding or a prior experience of how these systems operate if you were to take a fine dining chef and put him uh, her uh, into a system where they have to cook a meal for 20000 people it will become difficult for them because you suddenly change the entire dynamics by which they calculate the food production so that that is where this comes in uh, when you're coming to something like a home food then it is it is personal on such a level that even fine dining is left behind you're asking someone to come within your house and cook for a cook for you a meal that that basic function is to provide nutrition to you and your loved ones uh, the level of commitment that that kind of responsibility has is insane it does not have the kind of uh, finesse or the kind of complications that uh, banqueting or fine dining food will have but then it is the weight of the responsibility is massive um, and it is a very very um, 
the biggest factor in this is your emotional quotient that comes into it because tum if you're feeding someone at your house if you're if you're if you're feeding your child or if you're feeding your spouse food and you've given that responsibility to someone else ki please feed us then it is a massive thing to do and like you said the maharaj or the bhajji or the cook who's at home who's doing it uh, works at within a specific set of instructions um, so it doesn't matter what a standardized recipe is it is completely on the preferences of those small bunch of people who are cooking so uh, it changes it changes accordingly the way the food is produced i mean is that is that recipe or is that dish um, something that somebody else will enjoy it doesn't matter whether the, uh, another person outside this subset will enjoy it or not it is a very personal perspective so it changes the way the the same dish is made i mean like i could you could enjoy a damalu in your version in your house in a one in one particular way but mere ghar pe aise hi banta hai to this is how we make it my maharaj makes it this way so if that answers your question in yeah 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 there's a in fact it's a nice segue to the ingredients part because so before that um, if you can also i actually i wanted to ask this question at in the end but uh, yeah so is 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 food a making a craft or is it an art because uh, now i would say in in case of because now i'm more interested in understanding like fine dining mein kya hota hai in that especially is it a is it an art or is it a craft right so um this is a this is a question that i also like uh, i have a lot of arguments with myself about this is food is food craft or is it art is a uh, i think there there it it falls in like this uh, gap between the two forms two schools that that food is is made by craftsmen like at our core we are craftsmen we we have a love for a certain craft of cooking and we take that and we we are craftsmen who create stuff from the components that we have but uh, because of our personal relationship with food like how an individual reacts when they consume food it has the capacity to affect you emotionally at such a deep level that it is a, it is very it is extremely possible that the food that the craftsman that the thing that, that the craftsman has made you will perceive it to be so great that it reaches a level of divinity like it reaches a level of um, beauty that might just qualify it for art it is a very personal and a very subjective thing i get that but then i think uh, and i thought really hard about this okay because it is something that it is an argument that we've had before i mean like it is the current thing for the last 10 years is 10 or maybe even 15 years is that the plate that the chef is creating is a work of art is it really a work of art i mean that person has thought about so many different things and they have created this um, extremely perishable system i mean it's a very short lived system um that will probably be over the minute you have the last spoon mm-hmm. and which is uh, so unlike other forms of arts or say uh, even music or something um, i mean i don't know like sculpture like all of these things are 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 products that can stand the test of time right if i want i could create a sculpture i could create a product and it could stay for 1000 years 1500 years 2000 years music could be replicated in onto a disc form or something like that and it could then be multiplied into a cassette or whatever in an on online format or whatever it could be de- done in these forms and it would last through time i could put it in a time capsule and 
20,000 years from now, somebody, if they have access to those electronics, they can listen to those mu that music. And art, of course, is, is, is a painting. It's colors that has been put on, on a canvas. So something like this is preservable. It will last through time. But food doesn't have that benefit, right? It has a tendency to be, uh, it has a short shelf life. And that experience of that food, once it is consumed, is there only within your perspective. There is nobody else in the world who can enjoy that perspective. So there is a question, it, can we classify it as art? Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, we tend to value stuff once it becomes perishable. An artist or a creator, once they have created their works and then they pass away, the value of their work shoots up. I mean, if you were to look at a dish from that perspective, that the artist has created, the chef has created a product that is... Uh, been given the requisite amount of attention in process, in ingredients, in execution, um, and just through the love that, that 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 person has put through into creating that dish. If that if that chef meets all these requirements and creates a dish that can uh, satisfy all your senses, then why wouldn't you qualify call it call it a piece of art? I mean, it's not just from a visual perspective, from any perspective. Why would you not call it a piece of art? Does it make the person an artist? Probably not. That person is still a craftsman. But that work that they have done has has been elevated from a piece of craft. It has now become so good that it 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 becomes rarefied and and can now be classified as an art form. Hmm. It's a little bit of I like yeah I like the part where you said it's about perspective because I don't know maybe maake hat ka khana is is an art. Because it's very subjective, right. it's very experiential. It's uh, because I remember uh, there is uh, this famous uh, Marathi, like everything, like the biggest artists, uh, like one of the biggest artists in Marathi, Puladesh Pandey, ah. and he says that when 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 you hear the word thali peet, ah. you not only remember the the dish, but you also remember the place where you sat and you eat the the makhan or the loni which was dropped by your mom while dropping the the bangles clinging and it's a complete experience it is a complete so in that context yeah it's in that context it, it can be qualified as an art so there's a very wonderful thing that happens with food okay so yeah because food operates on multiple senses it's not just one particular sense or like a sense of sound or a sense of vision or a sense of taste that's operating it's assaulting multiple senses at the same time and our reference point to that becomes through multiple senses and because it is something that we are fundamentally attached to like it is a it is a part of our survival guide right Con consumption of nutrition is necessary for survival so our emotional attachment to it is is in such an extreme form that if you give someone good food all their senses are being um, exposed to this this dining experience and it very deeply and emotionally um, changes you, that meal experience. And it's something that chefs constantly want to pursue. Uh, if you look at some of the best cooks and chefs that, that you come across, when they're creating a dish, they want to give you that emotional connect. Like if it, for example, if a five-star hotel has a, has a vada pav on its menu, um, mm -hmm. when a person is eating a vada pav, he or she wants to experience that flavor of that street food, that, that quickness of the uh, roadside stall. It is something that that emotional connect is very necessary. Like you rightly said, it is a complete experience. And food uh, is amongst the few things that I have seen that does that to you. Like 
flavors aromas they will take you back through time and it will remind you of stuff that is absolutely unbelievable and it just changes the way you completely perceive food there like you said this thali mm. peat and the loni i'm sure that, that that aroma of that loni melting on top of the hot thali peat is is something that every time you smell melted loni you will be taken back to that experience where you're having it on top of the paratha i it happens yeah. to me all the time i love that aroma like i just can't stop yeah. yeah yeah so uh, like i think this conversation is going to go further abstract uh, because uh, the next thing which i want to ask you is again just going deeper into the ingredients itself so okay. what has been uh, are there any patterns or what is your insight about uh, having correlation between pairing ingredients uh, in dishes or like different types of foods because we have a set format right there's a like typically there's an appetizer in which uh, you recommend more say like non acidic or right, acidic right. Uh, ingredients mm-hmm. and then there's a main course and then 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 the chasers follow a certain par- pattern right so if you can just tell about that then uh, maybe i can like understand <laughs> so uh, the whole uh, one of the biggest challenges of when when someone comes to sit in front of me to eat my biggest challenge is that if i'm cooking i want to show off my meal experience like i want to show the person who's sitting in front of me that this is what i can do i want to blow your mind away but if i feed that person too much food too fast in a very erratic manner the possibility that that person will not be able to enjoy the entire gamut of the experience is a very high one so uh, ideally when when you want to so because you're talking about these different things that are like an appetizer or a main course and all why are why is it that this this format is so commonly followed um, a lot of it firstly it has to do if you look at at a very basic level of how we respond to food it is um, basically it needs it is done in order to trigger your hunger in the right manner okay so my meal will start with something that's chatpata or slightly spicy or tangy a little sweet little bit of explosions happening everywhere i want to make you feel hungry the, the whole dish is designed to trigger your hunger and so appetizers work that way which is why they are appetizers they wet your it's meant to wet your palate and get you ready for the next course right so uh, appetizers work that way as in where they trigger your palate and they trigger your hunger and after that comes the next set of ingredients which are meant to satiate you and make you happy and make you feel good about the entire eating experience so you want something that can fulfill you in a way main courses tend to do that very well depending on what you choose as your main course i'm i'm like for example if um i want to have like a nice home style chicken curry it will probably hit the spot much better than say a uh, a french version of a roast chicken for me like it's a personal perspective because i'm uh, from this local area for me a, a home style chicken curry will be better than say a, a french style chi- roast chicken and then uh, there are the whole set of accompaniments or chasers as you have called it like which elevate the meal experience that you are having it, it it's meant to elevate your already great experience that you're having you need to take it further um but at the core of all of this is our our need to feed ourselves um, very basic fundamental food that uh, provides nutrition to us so the staple comes into play over here which depending on which part of the world you are in your your main staple changes uh, 
a lot of asian countries over a lot of countries in asia have very strong staple systems like we have got bread we've got rice um, we've got other parts of the world have corn as their staple uh, some other parts have tubers as their staple so there is a starch component that forms a, ma- a major chunk of your staples because it is the main provider of energy for you how does the food your main course play along with that main starch is where a lot of magic is what that happens and then of course once you are at this place where you have eaten such good food you want to end it on a high note so you tend to go for something that's uh sweet and which will probably take you you know satiate you completely because sugar tends to do that if you're you're working on those basic needs of your brain which is uh, which is basically energy and sugar uh so a, a dessert at the end is the perfect way to make you happy so chefs exploit these systems and we create entire uh, stories around this very basic format where it takes you through uh, highs and lows of keeping your appetite uh, healthy through the meal and then giving you a treat at the end and basically making you feel nice as this this trip ends out um but uh, wow. that is just one part of it how you get this basic uh, function of you know providing you nutrition in a fun manner um the whole game that happens like is is on a a, a very subconscious level it works on um how your senses perceive food food um how how are you perceiving something like a flavor system in your body or in your tongue or in your palate how are you perceiving it and how is it emotionally um, connecting you i mean i mean there is a very common saying ki matlab khana jitna bhi khao kha lo but agar uh, if you don't enjoy the meal experience it kabhi lagega nahi badan pe it's a very very abstract statement that a lot of people uh, say matlab ki nahi lagega badan pe if you don't enjoy the experience of it jo bhi kha lo kuch farak nahi padna hai which might be true because your emotional attitude to the food affects uh, in a very major way it affects the way you you absorb the food into your body um these are all like small hacks or tools that chefs consciously or subconsciously use i mean i could i could uh, design a, 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 a meal which would which would basically be like for example within a pani puri something like a pani puri i could do uh, uh, the puri of the pani puri i could do a khatta meetha tangy spicy stuff just stuffed inside it you don't know it when you look at the puri from outside you probably won't figure it out but the minute you put it into your mouth and you take your first bite there is an explosion in your tongue there's the crunchiness from the puri there is uh, tastes like sweet sour salty uh, happening on your tongue then there are so many flavors that your your nose can perceive um, that is happening your ears are able to hear this crunch so it there's some other sound system that's going on depending on how you m- design that puri to be uh, how 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 well does it deceive the uh, consumer the play of vision comes into place so you having so many senses that are coming into play within one bite imagine this assault happening over a course of say 45 minutes an hour with different tricks and games coming in i mean there are so many things that you are um, doing to a person through just a simple meal experience and uh, if you are able to make their endorphins and their happy hormones explode and go crazy then then your meal is a successful meal i mean the person will go away being extremely satisfied physically mentally and emotionally so when you pair ingredients when you pair courses when you do stuff like this that that um, 
caters to all your senses and all your needs that game is completely different than simply saying like okay if you walked into a canteen somebody thrown a plate in your hand and you're eating <laughs> so it's mm. so different from how how you do it and chefs by nature want to exploit that system i mean it's it's an it's it's a method where i can personally connect with you it is a very personal thing no somebody cooking for something else no matter how uh, how you institutionalize the system by creating restaurants or creating a chain or something the very fundamental act of cooking a meal for someone um, is very basic in nature you are you are uh, asking a person to perform duties that are very fundamental to them and you are asking the consumers to go through a process that is extremely vital to them in both the places you are you are dealing with extreme emotional connect so it mm-hmm. is it, so throughout the process of say pairing ingredients or providing a main course or getting the staple in place or creating a dessert there are small small things that come into play and which can make you happier or sadder and there is something called as uh, flavor pairing that is done okay this mm-hmm. is this has been on in the last like it, it, we know something of it subcon- like chefs have always known that two three ingredients tend to go well by nature uh, for example uh, apple and cinnamon goes well or say cobra and lasun goes well like in a coconut chutney or chilies and cumin goes well like these are things that people know through experience that they taste well so people decided to study this as to why does this happen and a bunch of scientists and food theorists and science and uh, food technologists got down together and they studied these systems and they realized that, they, that there are a bunch of molecules that are there that are compatible in each other and which is why these two ingredients seem to go together and this then let out one complete it opened up one complete pandora's box and mm. where, which basically heralded the age of flavor pairing wherein stuff like coriander and strawberries were being paired white chocolate with caviar was being paired um, on paper it said that there are common volatile compounds that are common to both of them so if you take thing these two ingredients and you combine them together the finished product should on paper taste good because they have a lot of commonality between them and it turns out that it is true That, that something as weird as a combination as white chocolate and caviar actually tastes fantastic because it has got something that's going on in it and old school examples like apple and cinnamon clicked there were so many other examples that clicked but here's the fun mm-hmm. part is that does that become um, like like a guide to how to create food it did in a lot of parts of the world it did okay the entire western uh, world and the european world like took that idea and they ran with it there are some fantastic books that have come up on this one of the books is called the flavor bible and there are other books similar to it that have that have taken this idea and they have basically educated the common chef to understand what is it that they are doing and how can this make your food better but then we realize something else that the exact opposite of that is also applicable and the biggest example of that is a country like india there were studies done by some very very premier institutions in this country and they tried to take the same approach and they took traditional indian ingredients like our masalas and our spices and we have no dearth of essential oils and flavors in our country our country is probably like the birthplace of almost all i don't know how many spices so it's crazy yeah. so essential oils and flavors ke mamle mein we our country is like light years uh, ahead in the variety of systems that we have usually we be used to exploiting what they found out was yeah. that 
it it uh, the systems that they tried to see in western flavor pairing systems uh, they were not applicable over here in fact ingredients that were completely opposite with absolutely nothing in common for some reason tend to do great together hmm and that that is one entirely different ball game like you take completely two completely contradictory ingredients that by their nature are not similar but when you put them together they tend to form a product a third completely different product that creates magic on a completely different level it's not relatable in the same way as how flavor pairing in the western system is but over here in the eastern system or in our country at least we've been cooking with these spices for ages and like you know ki dal ke tadke mein heeng zabardast lagta hai jeera aur kadhi patte ke sath i mean it's a fantastic combination and you want to have that with lentils each of those things do different different things into your palate but the end product is absolutely fantastic i mean if i were to serve you a dal with a a tadka of kadhi patta heeng and if i were to and jeera and if i were to feed you a dal without this tadka and just ghee i'm sure both of these experiences will be completely different with how you are happy yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean it's so interesting and you have uh, like there's so many threads on which we can well more and like discuss more but uh, just keeping to the script which yeah, i've done yeah. is that uh, so how like since you mentioned that uh, like there are these so one thread is obviously going deeper and deeper and understanding how these compounds are formed how these molecules interact how these these uh, these two flavors right. pair with each other yeah yeah uh, and then there is another extreme end where uh, not the another extreme but the interim step step where you try and identify that theek hai chalo matlab at a at a dna and whatever at a fundamental level there are certain things which are happening hmm. um but now i'm dealing with only dishes i i don't want to get into that granular science okay okay so 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 if i want to ask uh, like how important is training for a chef i mean uh, because cooking hmm. uh, even if we call it an art or a craft i'm sure it's it's much more it's it was a meant means of survival so right. in the evolution cycle it must be surely before art it is it is a, uh, it is a system of necessity yeah. yeah so yeah so yeah i mean then from that till today's fine dining restaurant like where did the need to get trained first of all is training required and second is uh, i know this is like a slightly vague question yes in a fine dining restaurant you might need training but at home you may or may not but still there are episodes which happen na ki roti aise banate ya tum seekh lo pehle whatever mm. so what how do you define training in this entire scheme of things okay so there are there are two different uh, things that have come up in your in your conversation where when we start off with looking at food as an evolutionary as an as a, as a as a function of necessity survival and reproduction are our basic uh, driving systems right like we need to reproduce and we need to survive as a species or as any species that's what they need to do um so survival come one of the most important components is provision for nutrition so it started off there and it is been a part of our system since day one since our species began day one but because our mind is the way it is because we have the ability to um, connect different kinds of dots and create different systems out of it 
we took to food in a way that has been unprecedented by any other species and it has become one of those fundamental functions that has affected our evolution as a species very very deeply and like you rightly said uh, it originated much before art much before uh, technology uh, much before a lot of other things that have made life more interesting but at the same time uh, what matters is that if we have the ability to create systems as complex as uh, language and then art and then craft and then music and technology imagine that same intelligence is being used to carry a concept like food all the way through so it is something that has been and for the longest time it has always traveled by word of mouth there was no written format of recording food and the only way you could transfer knowledge of food from one one generation to another was to teach somebody that art or craft right so teaching uh, at its core is a form of training itself when i'm teaching you a particular duty or a particular task it is a form of training you is training important to become a chef to become a chef training is extremely important is training important to become a cook i don't think it is i mean the question is whom are you cooking for are you cooking for yourself are you cooking for your family because then that changes the uh, the dynamics of why the cooking is done why if you were to look at why training is required from a professional perspective why is training required you require training because you need to be efficient in the kitchen right uh efficiency is the core game you need to be efficient as far as wastage of ingredients is done you need to be efficient as far as electricity power is consumed you need to be efficient as far as gas is consumed you need to be efficient as far as timing is concerned because you have a very specific timing in which a particular dish is to be belted out because you you are being paid for certain services and that payment requires a certain set of expectations in order to deliver to deliver those expectations training is necessary so a chef can never be a good chef without training um, people might be naturally gifted at cooking but when you call that person a chef that the the environment in which that person operates suddenly changes but if you look at that from a home perspective also then it is different if you live if you live on your own then uh what kind of meal are you cooking will define how regularly you do that kind of operations right if i stay alone then i'm cooking for myself i make an omelet it's done in 10 minutes i can go but then if i stay in a house where i'm i'm responsible for cooking for three or four people i've got people older than me younger than me my own age group and i it is my job to provide nutrition to them and i have time bound requirements right i need to do this at these 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 times then suddenly i need to learn skills that become efficient and then we come to the same uh the same parallel like how a, a chef in a kitchen operates where efficiency becomes the norm so similarly over here in the home also efficiency becomes the norm and then you learn to cook in a particular way that becomes a habit and that be- habit becomes a skill and then that skill improves to become something that is better and then that better product is then taught on to the next generation um, this transfer of knowledge through training through skill through habit is evolving every generation because no process can be repeated 100% exactly the same right bad practices delete good practices come in shortcuts come in certain processes uh, even though they are good for you get thrown out in in preference for convenience 
so that evolves the the way the food moves in so if if you're saying is training important to be a chef it is is training important to be a home cook you can do without it but it's a great thing if you can train yourself to be an efficient chef correct correct beautiful beautiful uh yeah actually i would like to conclude i mean uh, i've been listening to some uh, podcast some episodes related to food for quite some time now and right. this this uh, conversation on food about food uh, has many many different accesses and plus it's endless because yeah yeah everybody is an expert and every but he can have an opinion <laughs> yeah. and everybody yeah so uh, yeah it's it's very tough to like encapsulate anything in a particular episode but but i understand it's an ongoing conversation right. but just for the sake of uh, this particular episode i would like to conclude uh, with one question which i was very curious to know right uh, is that um as per like my understanding there are like four elements right so earth water fire hmm. air um and according to few studies it said that uh, aristotle added ether hmm. the fifth element right um and there are numerous articles as well that uh, if aristotle had cooked he would have more to say to the world right so uh, again a, a very dear friend of mine is uh, is like sort of monk and we keep discussing about food mm-hmm. for a very like at length and his aspiration is to reach uh, a level that he can just live on one pot cooking okay so i could see a lot of synergy or a lot of topics being discussed at the intersection of food and philosophy right so if you can just conclude by like what is your take on that why is it so uh, is it being heavily discussed within the within the hospitality industry or at least in the chef uh, community uh and we'll we'll see where uh, what what uh, what do you think about it yeah if you speak of aristotle um the fifth ingredient that you were saying the fifth ingredient and thing i'm sorry the fifth component or the uh, the element that you're talking about ether um in his in his philosophy it was like when you're discussing about ether it was that single factor that connected that that became the petri dish in which all these other four elements operated um is food would aristotle have been a better philosopher if he cooked absolutely it would have been some of the best sessions of uh, thought that i know personally people that i know uh, personally some of the best thinking that they have done is during the process of cooking uh, once you become a good a decently passable good chef uh, you can you can allow a lot of um, activities to go on auto mode you know sort of like cutting or chopping or stirring a kadhai where and and uh, and and you can allow your brain to uh, wander and think about larger things if you if you look at it in the context of food and what aristotle had to say food is like that ether um it is at the core of of a lot of our exist a lot of our relationships with things around the world so it is like that petri dish by which we can gauge how a person is um when when we talk about food do chefs discuss food philosophy of course we do we discuss food philosophy um the question is in what context are we discussing it with whom are we discussing are we discussing it on a sunday night when we are dying under orders yeah the question is like why is the why the hell is the world eating the way it is like matlab ye kya chal raha hai how am i dying tonight so badly when on other days i'm not eating food when i'm not dying with business 
and on a sunday evening i'm literally drowning in business because people are ordering so much food it is unbelievable what makes them order the way they are what what makes them order the way they do that is one aspect of how how a philosophy on food could work but more importantly that amongst other things that we discuss is is how is the the, the, the system um, what another aspect that we discuss uh, is that how is consumption like food by nature is an act of consumption so does it define you in a way um, the way you you consume the way you heed to your desires i mean such fundamental attributes that that food uh, gives you relationship to does it define the person that you are and if it does then what kind of ramifications philosophical ramifications that are there what kind of ramifications are there and if you look at if you look at uh, what aristotle had to say okay one of the things that his philosophy had was uh, something called as temperance right which was basically your ability to uh, exhibit control over something and food is an act of consuming your something that you desire so if if you take something li- like how your nature is to desire stuff you take something uh, an an accessible example of it where you're consuming what you desire if you can control that aspect it speaks a lot about yourself and i think in a way that is what uh, you could take aristotle's idea of uh, aristotle's philosophy and when you had to join it or link it with food this is where it would come out to is that um, we look at food as something that provides us um happiness and emotional support and it helps us understand ourselves in a way because you're taking the environment that is outside you you're processing it in a manner and you're consuming it you're making it a part of your own i don't think there is anything that is more fundamentally beautiful than a concept like this where your exist where, it, where which describes your existence in a way where you as an individual as an individual you live in a society and you are a product of everything that you're being subjected to you take all of that in you assimilate it within yourself you allow it to nurture you and it makes you into something else which is something exactly like what food does which is why i feel that philosophers have always fundamentally been uh, hooked on to the idea of food and i'm sure if you look at any school philosophy school of philosophy um, people who are a part of that school have an opinion on what must be consumed and how it must be consumed what kind of food must be consumed it is something that is very very principal to the way they exist and i'm sure that any religious or social philosophy or any form of philosophy that is meant for you betterment of human kind will have something to say about food as its central component i mean like we said survival is a, is a necessary skill and you need to have nutrition to survive so in that aspect i think uh, food forms that uh, bridge that can answer a lot of questions in philosophy wow wow yeah we are recording this on 1st april 2020 where we are under lockdown okay. because of the corona virus and uh, somewhere even eating habits or what we are eating what are we consuming from the nature has has resulted in some sort of changes in our like almost every aspect of our, uh, of our lives of our day yeah. so so yeah yeah so it's it's um, yeah i mean it's, it's yeah i'm just connecting the dot here but cool i think uh, if you have to conclude by telling like how do 
how do cultures select what to eat and what is happening with globalization <laughs> because uh, you can find everything everywhere right? right so in terms of ingredients right. so yeah there too these are two uh, in a way if you were to look at it uh, what a culture eats and how globalization is affecting it is such a linear thing no i mean you can just make draw a straight line and you can connect it when you look at culture at one side and you look at globalization on the other side with food as the link it's such a linear line but if you were to look at it from another perspective that culture is such a personal and subjective thing to a particular geographical boundary or a, or a particular social boundary and globalization is like the destroying of that entire boundary i mean food operates mm-hmm. on like weird places in both of them i mean if you can establish an emotional connect within a set of people then uh, irrespective of what is going on in the world how how ingredients are coming into your into your system or not if that emotional connect between the people and and a link to their culture their heritage their history um and traditions is there then um it will help you uh, face the onslaught of globalization of the food industry that is one aspect of it right where you can you can still hold your own in spite of a plethora of ingredients coming to your doorstep now on the other side if you look at it it, it, it globalization has its own benefits i mean uh, today people of my generation are eating cuisines that 30 years ago would have been absolutely unheard of i run an asian kitchen that serves ramen five years ago or seven years ago if somebody would have told me ashwin would you want to open up a ramen kitchen in bombay i would like mad over chalega hi nahi hai kaun kare dhanda hi nahi karega ye i mean people are just not wanting to experiment something like spend experiment for something like this but today if you tell me that uh, is asian food like leading the game right now asian food is is leading in amongst all the cuisines in india right now asian food is amongst the top i mean italian has been doing it for quite some time but then the way the asian food scene has exploded it is fantastic and we're eating ingredients like dried fish and seaweed and um, octopus and raw fish and 10 years ago who would have been eating this globalization does wonderful stuff okay it does some wonderful things where it it introduces you to a set of ingredients um which can explode the way you pursue nutrition how cultures choose to do that is uh, probably based on how it's marketed how cool is it uh, does it provide is it value for money especially in a country like india is it value for money um can this be something that we can go back to again and again uh, these are all factors that come in india is like a very difficult market as far as uh, food trends are seen i mean now yeah. in urban situations and all it's become pretty great but then there are there are there are stories where great massive corporate co- companies have come into india with their entire play set and they have failed to create the kind of impact and rumble that they have done abroad I mean, why is yeah. that? It's probably because of the of our culture, the way we eat. We are we are so agriculturally ground to our systems, and we have like such a. I I might be, uh, you know, boasting a bit about our country. I don't know. I might be wrong. I might be told I'm wrong on this, but I think that yeah. as uh, Asian countries in general have this extremely deep organic connection to the way we consume our food. Uh, it has to do with the the spices the color the flavors the uh, plethora of ingredients that we have and the climate and the kind of uh, 
attitude that we have amongst with respect to each other that just you know makes this whole system bloom and uh, we have been late to the globalization game of where uh, food is homogeneous in a lot of the western world and as it travels eastwards uh, it's the way it's been absorbed into the system is slightly hodgepodge and it's not gone the way other countries have taken it but uh, it is a gift and it is also uh, a sort of a curse um, it yeah. is inevitable that that we are heading towards um, a form of homogeneity in the way we eat food if you were to look at our dietary patterns say 100 years ago 200 years ago the human species i'm not even talking about just geographically the variety of food that we ate was insane the staples that we consumed was insane the meats that we consumed was insane um today the scale at which we are expanding and the scale at which we consume it is just not uh, possible to eat that kind of varieties and it is systems have made it in uh, like they have prom- there are large organizations and systems that have promoted certain grains and certain staples to be mass produced so that it can feed the most number of people um we look at our our dietary patterns being dependent on four or five staples there is wheat there is rice there is corn there is soybean um, these are like four or five ingredients that form the major chunk of our uh, which are all carbohydrates not just carbohydrates a lot of things that we consume i mean if you were yeah. to look at 10 products on a supermarket shelf you would find corn as a component in them soybean as a component in them gluten as a component in them uh, rice of course is a staple for us i mean i'm just saying the way a product is designed it, it takes in components from these four or five ingredients the meats that you eat today you're a non vegetarian right do you yeah. eat the meat the variety of meats that you eat today can you count it on one hand or do you eat meats that are more than on one hand i'm yeah, not talking actually, about food i'm just talking because about- i am i'm like i'm a only i i eat egg and chicken only exactly and you just eat egg and chicken yeah right you just eat egg and chicken which is which is very similar to what a lot of people do they they eat chicken they eat beef they eat pork and maybe lamb and goat meat a bit seafood is a little fun thing but over there also it is slowly becoming that there are only 15 or 20 fishes that the entire market has at today's date there is a level of homogeneity that's coming in it is inevitable as globalization takes its way through the world uh, more and we will more and more wa- move towards a direction where there are just a set of 40 or 50 ingredients that the entire world will eat as a major source of their nutrition i guess this will continue to happen till a point of time where uh, variety will become novel again where uh, <laughs> uh, mcdonald's food from mcdonald's or food from kfc or food from other such massive brands that have been successful abroad do not become novelty value but a local variety of rice that is about to become extinct or something uh, like a local variety of a millet becomes more important and the novelty and the beauty of that ingredient takes precedence and slowly from yeah. from that level of homogeneity we will again move away to a line of variety i think it's like one sign and sine wave you know there are crests and there are troughs and there is expansion and there is uh, cohesion happening Yeah, this is i could i can remember like two three uh, instances of different conversations i've had with uh, multiple people right uh, so one is with uh, balkrishna doshi in the 100th episode okay uh, where i asked him that why our cities started looking the same right and uh, to that he gave a brilliant answer saying that because uh, architects are no longer poets right. so yeah okay. i mean the, the 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 craft and the art uh, side of things and right Uh, one with atul pethe who's like uh, another big playwright 
okay. uh, in the Marathi industry. And uh, he uses the word called as Sapati Karan. Sapati Karan. Sapati Karan. Sapat or It's flattening. The curve the yeah. is flattening. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, I mean, what you said, if we can generally conclude by uh, like Swami Vivekanand's like one famous line, which says that there are thousand years of forest and then thousand years of city. Huh. And again, thousand years of forest. So, and the cycle continues. And the cycle continues. That's a fantastic way to put it. I think that sums yeah. up exactly what I'm trying to say. That crested yeah. plastic. That's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I think uh, on that note, I understand this. This uh, is really not fulfilling my hunger to know more about food because there's tons of things to be discussed. Right. But uh, just given the 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 format in which we have planned this. Uh, I think this is a good note to end this. Uh, thanks, uh, Ashwin, for giving your time. Thank you. Sir. All the best uh, no. for your uh, kitchen in Bombay. And uh, if people have to follow what you do, uh, Instagram, what's the handle? Bhojan. We, I'm called Bhojanam Yojanam. B-H-O-J-A-N-A-M-Y-O-J-A-N-A-M. Bhojanam Yojanam on Instagram. And I'm, yeah, that's uh, my kitchen is called Milliways Inc. M-I-L-L-I-W-A-Y-S-I-N-C. Yeah. Yeah, that's the name of the kitchen that I run along with my partner, Yash Rajpal. So that's in South Bombay. Oh, nice, nice. So yeah, I mean, uh, do go and visit uh, those who are in Bombay or coming to Bombay after the Corona thing. So yeah, thanks, Ashwin. Thank you so uh, much for having me over. It was such a nice uh, talk and it was so nice to flex, like exercise my brain on such wonderful things to think about. Oh, Thank you so thanks, much. Thanks. And that's it from today's Gyan session. Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher or any podcasting app you use. Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on audiogyan.com. Till then, bye.